0: Well, good morning, COV. Whoa, that mic is hot. Whew. All right, well, as Tim said, I am Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Church of the Valley. Excited to be here this weekend and this morning, uh, but before we kind of dive into it and get really, really hard into the Word of God, I have a question for you. Um, Team Cap or Team Iron Man? All right, so this is an important question. And if you don't know, uh, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to the superhero stuff. Uh, But because it's uh, Fourth of July weekend, I really wanted to wear a Superman shirt because I'm much more about DC than Marvel, but I love the Marvel stuff. Uh, There was Civil War, the movie. There was the comic book first. I don't know how fateful it was to the comic. I watched the movies. And there was this uh, Civil War among the Avengers. And so you had Captain America leading one team and Iron Man leading another. So uh, if you know what I'm talking about, raise your hand if you're Team Cap. Oh, see, we know Tim's not. Erin is, by the way, but she's not in here. Uh, raise your hand if you're Team Iron Man. Wow, they're standing. I said, I said raise your hand, not stand up. All right. Listen to instruction, please, Rileys. Um, raise your hand if you do not care. Batman. <laughs> That was not one of the options. Y'all aren't paying very, very good attention right now, uh, but when you have this, this sort of infighting amongst the Avengers, it's, it, it's, it's a compelling thing, and 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 it was just, it was, it was a great movie. I really appreciated the movie. It was just a lot of. I, it's weird to say a lot of fun because like the good guys are fighting each other but it, it was just a, just an enjoyable thing to watch and, and frankly it worked as an illustration this morning because I really wanted to wear a superhero shirt uh, but we're in a church where you know come as you are as long as you're team cap um, but uh, we just we just uh, we love diving into the word of God and when you come to the word of God when you attend church you're also in one of two camps you've received Jesus Christ as Lord you acknowledge that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again, or, or you're not there yet. But, but let's make a distinction here because it's not the same thing. It's not like we're at war with one another. That's not what I'm saying. And even as we come to a text like today, you see, you see Abram and you see Lot and you see kind of this division and all of the things surrounding that, but there's something deeper going on here. As, as we come to a text like today, uh, we always come at it through the lens of the gospel, which is what, how we should approach any text, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament. And even as I was diving into uh, a text like I did this week and, and, and being like all excited that I can be nerdy and wear a Captain America shirt to preach in, uh, I, was, I, was, I was deeply impacted by going back and rereading uh, parts of a book that I had read recently called uh, Gospel-Driven Ministry by Jared C. Wilson. And and in that text, he, he's speaking to those of us who would be teaching and preaching, and and he's sort of addressing, like, how you speak to the needs of the congregation and what they're going through, uh, whether they're prepping for a wedding or they're dealing with twins at home. Uh, God bless you. I know what that's like. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about, here's, here's how you need to really think about when you talk to those in the church who uh, have not yet received Jesus Christ as Lord. And this kind of churchy term that's used is lost. And he says this. He says, the work of sermon preparation should also be an act of love for the lost. And when we say lost, once again, it's those who have not yet received Jesus Christ as Lord, have not embraced the reality of the gospel, his, his, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension on high. And really, as we come to a text like we're coming to today, and we think about Abram, and we think about Lot, and the events surrounding their lives, we're even now, more than ever, in need of determining to not separate this narrative we're going to get into from the gospel lens. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel lens is necessary for us to truly understand any passage of Scripture. And as we think about the gospel and all that it entails and all that Scripture says to us, in our lives today, July 3rd, 2022, I want us to be clear on this, that God is orchestrating our lives always around what is going to give Him the most glory. And as we, as we look at a text like we are looking at today, uh, God's glory is found most presently in the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, I have, a, I have a question for you. Did you know that the gospel is in the Old Testament? Not just the New Testament. It, it, it's in the Old Testament as much as it is in the New Testament, and so we come to a text like today, and we're, we're, we're looking at it through that gospel lens. So let's get once again into our text in Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. We see this. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev and his wife and everything that he had, and Lot went with him. And Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. Uh, now, if you were with us last week, and even if you weren't, you can kind of scroll back if you're on your tablet or phone, or you can flip back a page for some of you who are still using those, uh, those things called, like, books, and, and you can see that this verse, verse 1, is pretty much identical to the previous verse in the end of chapter 12. It's just saying, look, he took everything is he had, all of his stuff, his, his wealth as he's wealthy in livestock and silver and gold, and, and, he, and he's kind of moving in. Um, now, if you weren't here, or you need to know, he became wealthy in kind of a weird way. Context matters, folks. It's not just that, uh, that this verse is here, but we need to understand or be reminded, like, he got wealthy and part of a lie. He, he, in chapter 12, he, he, he went into this land, and he said to his wife, Sarai, he said, look, uh, you're, you're pretty. You're a looker, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, uh, look, that's his wife, and uh, we're going to kill him and keep her, and so say to Pharaoh, you're my sister. That's exactly what happens. Uh, she gets taken by Pharaoh. Uh, he gets wealthy as a result of that sin, that deception, and it, it kind of blows up in his face. So we get a glimpse into some, some, some missteps by Abram. Now, he made kind of a, a, kind of a, a knucklehead decision, Right? Uh, it, it, my wife is my sister, which uh, Tim covered last week, is, is partly true, but, but it's not the full truth, so it's still a lie, right? It's still, that we, we tell our children that, half-truth is still a lie, right? Uh, politicians, hello. If you're in politics, I'm not speaking, it, you know, you're more of a sinner than any of us, but he got these possessions, he got this wealth, but it was rooted in deception. So we get a glimpse into Abram's missteps, right? Even though he celebrated as, as, as Father Abraham, as this hero in the faith, uh, we, we also recognize that he's not perfect. And so that's how he we became wealthy. That's how it all started. And, and, and so we see that, but God. But God steps in and, 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 and gives us the gospel that says it, the promise to Abraham or Abram in this moment is not about who He is and what He does, but about who God is and what He does. The promises of God are not rooted in what we do, but in who God is. Uh, years ago, a uh, pastor by the name of Matt Chandler, you might be familiar with him. He's a pastor of the Village Church in Texas. He did a sermon series called Recovering Redemption. And by the way, it's all available on YouTube. You can just uh, do a search, and that's a really good series. And in the first message of that, he's speaking to... Uh, how the gospel informs uh, the bad. So gospel translated literally means good news. So, so the good news of the gospel is almost like redundant because you're saying the same thing, uh, which is exactly what I just did. Um, and then he says early in his series, the very first message, he says, for good news to be good or for news to be good, it has to invade bad spaces. And for us as Christians, for those of us who've received Jesus Christ as Lord, we can look at the bad in Abram's life, but we can also look at the fact that his sin that he committed did not omit the promises of God. Because the gospel is a promise. It's a promise that through Abraham all the way to those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord today and in the future... That would not run out. It's not what you do. Folks, it is not what you do that makes you right with God. It's what God has done through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension that then allows us to be called sons and daughters of the one true God. Abraham or Abram, he had a lot of stuff. Stuff that originated in a weird way. But God still had something to say to Abram that would be said once again at the end of this chapter. And when we see Abram, we see how he acquired his stuff in a weird way. We see this, that God is always orchestrating our lives around what is going to give him the most glory. And in this instance, we see once again that God's promises do not rest on the actions of men and women but they rest on the reality of who He is and what He has done in the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilling His promise through who would eventually become Abraham that He would be the father of many nations. Verses 3 and 4 in Genesis chapter 13. From the Negev, He went to the place, from place to place until He came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where His tent had been earlier and where He had first built an altar. And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now it says, this is, this is where he had been earlier. To give you a reference, if you were to go back to Genesis 12 verse 8, you, you would see this, that he stayed there and he even built an altar there. Um, and so he, he had been traveling, he comes back to where he was, and, and I kind of wonder, because I'm just that, that curious personality, what was he thinking when he returned to that place? I don't know. Uh, was he reminded of what the Lord had done for him? Uh, you know, we don't know all of the things that are going through his mind because, frankly, that's not the point I'm getting at and that's not the point the text is getting at. We see this, this, this subtle verse inserted in this narrative that, that Abram had called on the name of the Lord. Now, we don't know what he said when he called on the name of the Lord. but That's not the point. We just know that he called on the name of the Lord. Here's another thing, folks. There is no verse in Scripture that is there by accident. Nothing is in there just by chance. And as we get into a narrative passage, if you're like me, I'm a point A to point B person. I'm just kind of wanting to get through the narrative and see what happens at the end. And if we're not careful, we can miss the significance of something like this that says, Abram called on the name of the Lord. If Abram The Father of multitudes and nations, and the Lord Jesus Christ, we see in the New Testament himself prayed. How much more important is it for us to be people of prayer, those who've received Jesus Christ as Lord? In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when instructing people to pray, Jesus says this This then is how you should pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's not the only part of that text. It extends out, but here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to call on the name of the Lord, okay? Now, now here's what I'm going to encourage you with. This is a time of prayer in our service, and so I want to to guide you in this. Uh, Unless you feel totally compelled to do that, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to do this, just you and God, and we're going to take a moment to pray. And so, if you don't know what to pray for or how to pray, pray for the Simmons family. Pray for Jean. Pray for Barbara. Pray for all those others affected by this. You may have a huge life decision coming about, uh, job change, potential job change, uh, you're moving. You've not yet decided what you believe about Jesus Christ. It can be any one of those things, or it can be just, Father, hallowed be your name. So what I'm going to ask you to do now is I'm going to ask you to uh, bow your heads and close your eyes and however you feel the Lord leading you to pray, we're going to take a couple minutes and call on the name of the Lord. And I'll, I'll start us by, by guiding us into this and then I'll give you an opportunity to pray, just you and God. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you right now thanking you for who you are and all that you've done. And God, i I especially want to lift up Gene. I want to lift up the Simmons family to you. They were rocked with the reality that Brian's no longer residing here on this earth. But I also pray for each person in here, each person who may be watching online, that you would get glory in their lives and help them to see how that's going to that's come. Spend these next couple moments in prayer. Heavenly Father, be glorified in us as we continue to seek to make it about you and not about us. In Jesus' name, amen. I just continue to encourage you. Be people of prayer. Take those moments throughout the week, throughout the day. Abram called on the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry called on the name of the Lord. We ought to do that as well. Genesis chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Now, Lot who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great and they were not able to stay together. Now, here's what we know. They both had a bunch of stuff, right? This is a couple of U-Hauls filled to the ceiling. I'm looking out and I'm seeing some of you who helped fill the U-Haul when we moved this last year. Um, this, this, these are the two California houses right next to each other and they open the garage and like stuff starts to fall out, right? Some of you are that person. You know who you are. Many of us are that people. I mean, so few people park in the garage here because that's their storage area and it's California. So no snow, no hail, anything like that. Um, we don't know all the reasons why they tell us other than to say, look, they had a lot of stuff. You know, recently, uh, we did two yard sales at our home. And we did that to raise money to send to Ukraine, and we put that out on our personal social media. And so some of you donated your stuff, uh, and we're really grateful for that. And, and some of the people that donated stuff were the Delwoods. And I remember Sarah coming with her four-year-old son, Levi, for no filter, right? Uh, just says what he's thinking in that moment, and I love it. I have two four-year-olds, no filter at all. And so uh, Sarah is dropping off stuff with Levi. We open the garage. Levi looks into our garage and says, wow, you guys have a lot of stuff. You really need to clean this. (laughs) And he was right. And I wish I could say it was just the yard sale stuff. But what happens is I organize stuff, Raymond, and, and I organize stuff so Tanya has no idea where it is. And then, so she's got to find it, and so messes it up, and then I mess it up even more than she does. find that stuff, and it just gets—it's a disaster, right? It's just—it's just a constant disaster. And, and and so we we see this, we see all these things, and we see like this land is already occupied. We see they both have a lot of stuff, and, and I'm just I'm I'm a curious, so I'm wondering why why communicate this? Well, 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 first of all, it's communicating this to us for this reason. It's it's going to inform us the reason why they would kind of go their separate ways. Okay? So they, they, they want us to know here's why, it's kind of, here's why they're kind of separating in this moment. Um, it's also to show us that more stuff can cause more problems. And I'm not saying possessions and stuff in and of themselves are sins. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm, I also think it's to point us to the reality that stuff or possessions will ultimately let us down. But for us in 2022, as we read the Scripture, as we always want to have the Gospel lens in our minds, as we read a text, I think it's this, to point us to the Gospel that it it doesn't go out of style. It's not ending up in somebody's yard sale. It it, it won't go unsold at a garage sale because it's not for sale. And it can't become irrelevant. And it will never let us down. Jesus Christ does not disappoints. And we see that as we get into this text more, all of this kind of, they're, they're rubbing elbows too much, and they've got all these possessions, and this land is occupied. We see like, like conflict arise. Verse 7, quarreling arose between Abram's herders and lots, and the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living there in the land at the time, just kind of communicating, look, this place is crowded, This is is how Disneyland or Disney World is all the time, right? This is Great America on a Saturday. They're fighting because they're in each other's business. Now, now this passage is maybe not as overt as others, but here we do find the widespread effects of human sinfulness. And here's what I mean by this. Communicating to the church in the book of James, in other words, those who've received Jesus Christ as Lord, here's what we see. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. There's fighting. There wasn't enough room for them all. And in this moment, they're really not doing a good job of handling the situation. As much as I am Team Cap, he didn't do everything right. But that's all of us. This is speaking to the church and James. We've all been in that place where we don't get what we want and somebody else have it has it. And we're just, we're just fighting. we're just being selfish. But but, but sometimes we're we're just no different, right? We have our preferences, we have our want, we want this land, and we're fighting just as bad as they are. And so we get a glimpse into the good Abram, right? We see in verses 8 and 9 the following. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. This is this is the good side. You know, this is the Dr. Jekyll, not the Mr. Hyde of Abram in chapter twelve. He's basically saying, There's enough land for us to go around, so let's settle down. And and figure this thing out. Now, uh, just for reference, or if you're not uh, familiar with or you don't remember, Lot is Abram's nephew. And Abram was willing to let Lot make the decision in this moment. That's kind of a big deal. This wasn't, you take the top bunk, I'll take the bottom bunk. This wasn't, uh, if you want to sit in the back, all right, shotgun. This is not, if you really are determined to ride flight deck first, I can wait for the railblazer. If you have never been to Great America, you have no idea what I'm, but you can look it up later, not right now. This is, let's decide where we're going to settle down so this doesn't come between us anymore. He wanted to sort of de escalate the situation. And, and, and in this moment, by the grace of God, we. In 2022, get a glimpse into who God has made Abram to be. You see the bad, but you also get a glimpse of of Abram bearing the image of God and willing to step back and to not make it all about him. And that is a constant battle, right? Here at COV, we want it to not be about any one of us. Not just me, Tim, or Mike, or anybody else on the teaching team but all across the board. We want it to be about Jesus Christ and the gospel that has saved us. So if we get off track, call us on it. But here's the thing. Do it in relationship. If I don't know you at all, I met you for the first time and you come up to me after the service and spend 15 minutes explaining to me why I shouldn't be wearing a superhero t-shirt to preach. You know what I'm going to say? Thank you. God bless you. uh, I'll... I'll reference you to some other churches. <laughs> I may not go that far. But hey, if we're in relationship, if we're living each other's lives, if, if, if you know things about me, I'm, I'm a lot more likely to hear it from you than, than else. And that's everybody in this room, right? But if you've just kind of walked through this door ready to pounce and find, look, this is wrong and that's wrong and I don't like the way uh, they played the music here or, or this song or you should do more hymns, like, that's, that's making it about you, not about the gospel. Do it in relationship. Uh, but, but be willing, like say, hey, I don't, I don't think this is really in line with the focus of COV, but also be willing to hear that from us, for us to speak into your lives. So, so whether it's our teaching, our outreach, whether we're going to Valley Village or, or anywhere else, VBS, Kids Ministry Youth, uh, we want it to be about the gospel, And we know that God is always orchestrating our lives around what is going to give him the most glory. And that is found, most importantly, in the focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Abram's taking a step aside and saying, look, I'm going to let you choose because this fighting. This is not right. Let's figure this out. Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 through 11, Lot takes him up on his offering. He looked around, and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar, and it was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, and this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east, and the two men parted company. I think I have a map on the slide. Okay, so uh, this is the best I could come up with, so if you can't see it, I'm sorry, um, uh, email, email, you know, Mike at COV afterwards. Uh, so, kind of to the right, uh, where the water is in the Dead Sea, you can see Sodom and Gomorrah. Kinda, that's the general area that we're talking about. And to the 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 left, you know, there's Hebron and all that kind of stuff. And you see kind of the, the kind of division and where they settle. And so, uh, here's what we know about the area that Lot looks at. It's near Sodom and Gomorrah. It says it right here in the text. It's well watered, and Lot looks at that and goes. That's kind of where I I want to be. Now, he experienced a famine. Lot Lot had experienced a famine. You can can get that references in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. And if you've ever been through famine or read about that, like that's a big deal. That's bad, bad thing. We're not talking about a good thing. That's a bad thing. Uh, And so Lot, what he sees is the good stuff. Now, I don't want to go, go too far with Lot because He saw a good place, and he wanted to settle in that place. Plus, he was given the choice. It wasn't as though Abram said, I'm going to go here, and Lot threw a fit, and said, well, that's where I want to go. You know? Like our kids do, or some of the adults that we know. He was given the choice. And in the moment, he chose what he wanted maybe for what's best for those that were causing fights, but also for his family, but also for him. Was he being selfish? Probably. I would say he was tempted by the attractiveness of sin. What's best for me? Looking out for number one. Where are you doing that? We have to ask ourselves those questions. The gospel tells us, not you were so good that God sent his son to die for you, but while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And then we see Abram, verse 12, Genesis chapter 13. He lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. So he would end up really close, Lot would end up really close to Sodom. And here's what we know about Sodom, verse 13. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. ESV would actually just say great sinners, Nothing is in Scripture by accident. Would they get the trophy for the most sinful? No. Were they a special kind of sinful in the text? Yes. We're going to see that later in Genesis. Now, let's put it in perspective for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Tim quoted this last week. We've quoted this many times. But God, because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's not talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. That's talking about the church at Ephesus and talking about us today, folks. And if God is always orchestrating our lives around what is going to give him the most glory, we look at Lot, we look at Abram, and we say it's not because of anything that they did or said, it's because of who God is, and that's true with us. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't depend on how good we are. Thank goodness Man, there are some days. Right? We see all of this happening, and then we see the Lord entering into a space, communicating with Abram once again when he says in verses 14 through 15 the following. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are. To the north and the south, to the east and the west, and all that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. The Lord shows Abram his inheritance. Side note, still no kids. Currently, in this moment, he's not trying to corral 15 kids and counting. He doesn't even have one yet. And at this point, there is no tangible way to believe God other than the fact that God said it to be true, which, by the way, is enough. More than enough. One of the things I love to do around here is ride my bicycle. It, it, I, I, just, I enjoy it. There are so many paved paths off the road because I'm always terrified about getting hit by a car. And I just, I, I love to do that. And one thing that happens in our home, every time that the twins know that I went on a bike ride, I, I get home, or maybe they're at school, and, I, and they find out later that I went on that bike ride, and they say, Daddy, what did you see on your bike ride? Every time, every time. They ask me when I haven't even gone on a bike ride, i have to I'm like, guys, I didn't go on a bike ride today. And so, it, it, it's, you know, I, I saw a bunch of cats, every once in a while I see a skunk, haven't been sprayed yet. I'm really sad that I said that just now, because I feel like I'm going to get sprayed this week see dogs, squirrels, you know, every once in a while I'll see a snake. Um, and, and, and so, uh, actually one time Nathaniel asked me, I said, a bunch of kids who listen to their parents. <laughs> and, and so they'll ask me, and sometimes I just like to have fun with it, right? I'm like, oh yeah, I saw, I saw some elephants, I saw some giraffes, I saw a T-Rex, I saw Steph Curry. They don't even know who that is, because I'm not a basketball guy. So if I said that, I'd be like, who? And, and look, they know I'm kidding, right? They, they, they know not to take me at, at my word. And they, they can tell from the expression on my face that I'm, I'm joking. Abram's hearing the very voice of God. Saying, I'm giving you a promise. He's saying, verse 16 in Genesis chapter 13, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. No kids still. I might say, can we start with one God? But for us, the beauty of getting in the text is like, we're not waiting for this to be fulfilled. We've already seen it come about. We can fast forward to the end of the physical journey of Abram but more importantly, see its greater fulfillment in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Abram is living the Bible. But we get to read it. And he's getting information directly from the voice of the Lord. We get to see it fulfilled in verses like Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, the promise that Abram is getting in part in Genesis chapter 13. Now, like Abram, we're operating in faith in many ways, right? We have to like take God at His Word. We can see the evidence of things, and we've actually studied the evidence of things. We did compelled or we, you have may, maybe you have done compelled, where we, we talk a, a lot about sort of the apologetic or the defense of our faith the, around really the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we also get the voice of God speaking to the human authors, giving to us verses like John chapter 3, verse 16, which is probably the most popular verse in all of Scripture, that God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And God gets the glory through that. And he's always orchestrating our lives around what is going to give him the most glory. And so he says to Abram, Genesis chapter 13, verses 17 through 18, Go. Walk the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram went near the trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Lot may have gotten the more enticing land, the more fertile land, but Abram got the promise of God. He knew the Lord. He spoke with the Lord, and he had an inheritance. And so we see that he builds an altar. there's something we need to know about altars. Look, they were a common feature of a patriarchal period. There's no central sanctuary that existed before the exodus from Egypt. These are in the ESV study notes on this text. And before the construction of the tabernacle. So, 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 God was not necessarily perceived as being ordinarily dwelling on the earth. And so these altars were kind of places where God may be encountered in worship. And so there's no, there's no building to go to. There's no facility to unlock or, or ventilation fans to turn on. There was no place he could go, so he builds an altar to have an encounter with God. That was his response to God. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up in a moment, and i want to speak to you a little bit about this altar, about these encounters with God. I'm going to ask Malik and Raymond to come on up. Look, full disclosure, I grew up in church. I grew up in the the maybe more religious circles than some of you, where we had a a lot of traditions, a lot of what we called altar calls. And so the altars were the stairs in front and people would come forward and they'd, they'd make decisions and it was a lot of emotion based and there were these extended, protracted invitations and there were pastors like banging the pulpit or the music stand and saying, you need to respond. But we are going to have something like that today and I don't, what I don't want it to do is to play on your emotions. And so we're going to have an invitation to come to the altar and, and so for today just for today and maybe we'll do this in the future we're going to call these steps the altar and I'm going to invite you to respond maybe you were praying about something earlier that's still weighing on your heart and mind perhaps it's just a wayward family member that you've, you've re- you 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 just you're dying for them to receive the gospel they seem to be so close they're just not getting it you're you're heavily burdened by something right now. And so we're going to go into a time of worship, and I'm going to say, like, you don't have to come up here. This does not make you more holy because you come to these stairs. This is not a burning bush Moses experience. This is simply an invitation. So as, as Malik plays and Raymond plays and we get in this time of worship, once again, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar if you feel so led. They're going to play, they're going to lead us through a couple of songs, and um, I'm just going to ask you to do some dealing with God during this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the goodness found in the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us. I thank you so much for who you are and all that you've done. And and, and Heavenly Father, as you have spoken to us through the gospel, I pray that you'd speak to the hearts and minds of, Those who are here, they would do some dealing with you right now. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. If you wish, come and pray, stand and sing, call on the name of the Lord during this time. Let's go to the Lord.